Thanks for clicking on today's video. Please take a moment and join us on the Return to Tradition Facebook page or on the Sources blog at returntotradition.org to keep getting updates. And please click that bell below next to the subscribe button to get notified by YouTube when this channel has new content. Thank you. It would be easier for the world to survive without the sun than to do without the holy sacrifice of the Mass. These are the words of Padre St. Pio, and they are especially relevant to us today, because at the request of the secular authorities, the Eternal City has shut down all public holy Masses in the entire country until April 3rd. Yet bars and restaurants in that country remain open for business. I want you to think about that, and consider the meaning of that turn of events. It is unprecedented. When the news broke, I was immediately reminded of something Sister Lucia said to those asking her about the third secret, before she was summarily banished into a private life by the Vatican. Recounted by Frere Michel in his book, The Whole Truth About Fatima, Volume 3, she says that if you want to know what the third secret of Fatima is, that it is recounted in the Book of the Apocalypse of John, a.k.a. the Book of Revelation, in chapters 8 to 13. So, with that understanding, I'm going to start this video by go by having a reading of those chapters of Revelation for you to contemplate in light of the news that we have just seen. But before I do that, also know that following that reading will be references to the warnings of other prophets and mystics, some in sacred scripture and others from the past few centuries, who will all point to the suppression of the Mass as a warning sign to be heeded by the faithful. Normally, I well, I wasn't really planning to do this topic as my We Were Warned for this month, so expect another We Were Warned probably next week or the week after. With that, chapters 8 to 13 of the Apocalypse of John, a.k.a. the Book of Revelation, and then following that, warnings on the same topic from various mystics and saints. I'm going to use the Knox translation for this for those curious. The Apocalypse of John, chapter 8. Then he broke open the seventh seal. And for about half an hour, there was silence in heaven. And now I saw seven trumpets given to the seven angels who stand in God's presence. There was another angel that came and took his stand at the altar with a censer of gold. And incense was given him in plenty so that he could make an offering on the golden altar before the throne out of the prayer said by all the saints. So from the angel's hand, the smoke of the incense went up in God's presence, kindled by the saints' prayer. Then the angel took his censer, filled it up with firebrands from the altar, and threw it down onto the earth. Thunder followed, and mutterings, and lightnings, and a great earthquake. And now the angels with the seven trumpets made ready to sound them. When the first sounded, there was a storm of hail and fire, mingled with blood, that fell onto the earth, burning up a third part of the earth, burning a third of the trees, burning up all the green grass on it. And when the second angel sounded, it was as if a great mountain, all in flames, fell into the sea turning a third part of the sea into blood, and killing a third of all the creatures that live in the sea, and wrecking a third of the ships. And when the third angel sounded, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, fell upon a third of the waters, and in the springs of the waters. The name of the star is Wormwood, and it changed a third of the water into Wormwood, till many died of drinking the water, so bitter had it become. And when the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sea and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten with darkness, so that the day must go without light for a third of its length, and the night too. And I heard in my vision words spoken by an angel that flew across the middle part of the heavens, crying aloud, Woe, woe, woe to all that dwell on the earth, 
When those others' calls are sounded by the three angels whose trumpets that have yet to sound. Chapter 9 And when the fifth angel sounded, I saw where a star had fallen from heaven to earth. This star was entrusted with the key of that shaft which leads to the abyss. So it opened the shaft which leads to the abyss, and smoke rose from the shaft as smoke rises from a great furnace, till the smoke rising from the shaft darkened both the sun and the air, and out of the smoke a swarm of locusts spread over the world. Endowed with such power from mischief as scorpions have on earth, they were not to injure the grass on the land, the green things that grew there, or the trees. They were to attack men, such men as did not bear God's mark on their foreheads. These they had no power to kill, only to inflict pain on them during a space of five months. Such pain as a man feels when he has been stung by a scorpion. When those days come, men will be looking for the means of death, and there will be no finding it. Longing to die and death will always give them the slip. The semblance of these locusts was that of horses caprisoned for war. On their heads they were a kind of circlet like shone like gold, and their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair, and teeth like lions' teeth. They wore breastplates that might have been of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of chariots, drawn at full speed by many horses into battle. It was their tails, and the stings in their tails that made them like scorpions, and with these they were empowered to do men hurt for a space of five months. And they fought under a king, for their king was the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in Greek Apollyon, and, and that in Latin, the exterminator. Of the three woes that were pronounced, one is now past, the two others are still to come. And when the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice that came from the four corners of the golden altar, which stands in the presence of God. It said to the sixth angel, as he stood there with his trumpet, Release the four angels who are imprisoned by the great river, the river Euphrates. So these were released, four angels who were waiting for the year, the month, the day, the hour, when they were to destroy a third part of mankind. And the muster of the armies that followed them on horseback, for I heard their muster called, was twenty thousand armies of ten thousand. This is what I saw in my vision of the horses and of their riders. The riders had breastplates of fiery red, and blue, and brimstone yellow, and the horses' heads and smoke and brimstone coming out of their mouths. This fire, this smoke, this brimstone that came out of their mouths were three scourges, from which a third part of mankind perished. The power these horses have to do mischief flies in their mouths and then in their tails. Their tails are like serpents, with serpents' heads, and they use them to do hurt. The rest of mankind that did not perish by these scourges would not turn away from the things their own hands had fashioned, still worshipped evil spirits, false gods of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, that can neither see nor hear nor move, nor would they repent of the murders, the sorceries, the fornications, and the thefts which they committed. Chapter 10 And now I saw a second angel of sovereign strength coming down from heaven, with a cloud for his vesture, and a rainbow about his head, with a face bright as the sun and legs like pillars of fire. He carried in his hand an open book. Setting his right foot on the sea and his left on the dry land, he cried with a loud voice like the roaring of a lion. And as he cried, the seven thunders of heaven made their voices heard. And I, when the seven thunders had finished their utterance, was making as if to write it down, when I heard a voice say from heaven, Do not write down the message of the seven thunders. Keep it sealed. Then that angel, whom I had already seen with his feet on the sea and on the dry land, lifted up his right hand towards heaven, and swore an oath by him who lives through endless ages, who made heaven and all that is in heaven, earth and all that is on earth, the sea and all that is in the sea. He swore that there should be no more waiting. 
When the time came for the seventh angel to make himself heard, as he stood ready to sound his trumpet, God's secret design, made known by his servants the prophets, would be accomplished. Then once more I heard the voice speaking to me from the heavens, thus, Go and take the open book from the hand of that angel, whose feet are on the sea and on the dry land. So I went to the angel, bidding him give me the book. Take it, he said, and eat it. It will turn thy belly sour, though in thy mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the book from the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but my belly turned sour once I had eaten it. Then he said to me, Thou art to make a fresh prophecy, which concerns many peoples, many races, many languages, and many kings. Chapter 11 Then I was given a reed, shaped like a wand, and word came to me, Up, and measure God's temple, and the altar, and reckon up those who worship in it. But leave out of thy reckoning the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure that, because it has been made over to the Gentiles, who will tread the holy city underfoot for the space of forty-two months. Meanwhile, I will give the power of prophecy up to my two witnesses. For twelve hundred and sixty days they shall prophesy, dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks, thou knowest of, that stand before him who is the Lord of the earth. Does anyone try to hurt them? Fire will come out from their mouths and devour such enemies of theirs. That will be the end of all who try to do them hurt. These two have it in their power to shut the doors of heaven, and let no rain fall during the days of their ministry. They can turn the waters into blood and smite the earth with any other plague whenever they will. Then, when they have borne me witness to the full, the beast which comes up out of the abyss will make war on them, and defeat and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the open street, in that great city which is called Sodom, or Egypt, in the language of prophecy. There, too, their Lord was crucified. For three days and a half, men of every tribe and people and language and race will gaze at their bodies, these bodies to which they refuse burial, and all who dwell on the earth will triumph over them and take their ease, and send presents to one another. Such a torment were these two prophets to all that dwell on the earth. Then after three and a half days, by God's gift, the breath of life entered into them, and they rose to their feet, while great dread fell on all who watched them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven, Come up to my side. And while their enemies watched them, they went up amid the clouds to heaven. At that hour there was a great earthquake, which overthrew a tenth of the city. The count of those who were killed by the earthquake was seven thousand, and the rest were filled with dread, and acknowledged the glory of God in heaven. So the second of the three woes that were pronounced as past, and the third will come speedily. Then the seventh angel sounded, and with that a great cry was raised in heaven. The dominion of the world has passed to the Lord of us all, and to Christ his anointed. He shall reign for ever and ever. Amen. And the twenty-four elders who sit enthroned in God's presence fell prostrate, worshipping God and crying out, Lord God Almighty, who art and ever wast, and art still to come, we give thee thanks for assuming that high sovereignty which belongs to thee, and beginning thy reign. The heathen have vented their rage upon us, but now the day of thy retribution has come, the time when thou wilt judge the dead, rewarding thy servants, prophets, and holy men, and all who fear thy name, little or great, and destroying the corruptors of the world. After this, God's heavenly temple was thrown open, and the Ark of the Covenant was plain to view, standing in his temple. And there were lightnings and mutterings and an earthquake and a great storm of hail. Chapter 12 And now in heaven a great portent appeared, a woman that wore the sun for her mantle, and with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars about her head. She had a child in her womb and was crying out as she travailed, in great pain of her delivery. 
Then a second portent appeared in heaven. A great dragon was there, fiery red, with seven heads and ten horns, and on each of the seven heads a royal diadem. His tail dragged down a third part of the stars in heaven, and flung them to the earth. And he stood fronting the woman who was in childbirth, ready to swallow up the child as soon as she bore it. She bore a son, the son who was to herd the nations like sheep with a crook of iron. And this child of hers was caught up to God, right up to his throne. While the mother, mother left, fled in the wilderness, where God had prepared a place of refuge for her. And there, for twelve hundred and sixty days, she is to be kept safe. Fierce war broke out in heaven, where Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought on their part, but could not win the day, or stand their ground in heaven any longer. The great dragon, serpent of the primal age, was flung down to earth, for he whom we call the devil, or Satan, the whole world seducer, flung down to earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice crying aloud in heaven, The time has come. Now we are saved and made strong. Our God reigns, and power belongs to Christ his anointed. The accuser of our brethren is overthrown. Day and night he stood accusing them in God's presence. But because of the Lamb's blood, and because of the truth to which they bore witness, they triumphed over him, holding their lives cheap till death overtook them. Rejoice over it, heaven, and all you that dwell in heaven. But woe to you, earth and sea, now that the devil has come down upon you, full of malice, because he knows how brief is the time given him. So the dragon, finding himself cast down to earth, went into pursuit of the woman, the boy's mother. But the woman was given two wings, such as the great eagle has, to speed her flight into the wilderness, to her place of refuge, where for a year and two years and half a year she will be kept hidden from the serpent's view. Thereupon the serpent set a flood of water out of his mouth in pursuit of the woman, to carry her away on its tide. But earth came to the woman's rescue. The earth gaped wide and swallowed up this flood which the dragon had sent out of his mouth. So in his spite against the woman, the dragon went elsewhere to make war on the rest of her children, the men who keep God's commandments and hold fast to the truth concerning Jesus. And he stood there waiting on the sea beach. And out of the sea... In my vision, a beast came up to land, with ten horns and seven heads, and on each of its ten horns a royal diadem, and the names it bore on its heads were names of blasphemy. This beast which I saw was like a leopard, but it had bear's feet and a lion's mouth. To it the dragon gave the strength that was his, and great dominion. One of its heads, it seemed, had been mortally wounded, but this deadly wound had been healed. Now the whole world went after the beast in admiration, falling down and praising the dragon for giving the beast all this dominion, praising the beast too. Who is a match for the beast? they asked. Who is fit to make war upon him? And he was given power of speech to boast and to blaspheme with, and freedom to work his will for a space of forty-two months. So he began to utter blasphemy against God, blasphemy against his name, against his dwelling place, and all those who dwell in heaven. He was allowed too to levy war on the saints and to triumph over them. The dominion given to him extended over all tribes and peoples and languages and races. All the dwellers on the earth fell down in adoration of him, except those whose names the Lamb had written down in his book of life. The Lamb was slain in sacrifice ever since the world was made. Listen to this, you that have ears to hear with. The captors will go into captivity. He who slays with the sword must himself be slain with the sword. Such good ground have the saints for their endurance and for their faithfulness. Then from the land itself I saw another beast come up. It had two horns like a lamb's horns, but it roared like a dragon, and it stood in the presence of the former beast to carry out all that it was empowered to do, bidding the world and all its inhabitants worship the former beast, that beast whose deadly wound was healed. 
Such wonders could it accomplish that it brought down fire before men's eyes from heaven to earth. And by these wonders which it was enabled to do in its master's presence, it deluded the inhabitants of the world, bidding those who dwell in it set up an image to that beast which was smitten with the sword and lived. Further, it was able to put life into that beast's image, so that even the beast's image uttered speech. And if anyone refused to worship the image of the beast, it had put him put to death. All alike, little and great, rich and poor, free men and slaves, must receive a mark from him on their right hands, or on their foreheads, and none might buy or sell, unless he carried this mark, which was the beast's name, or the number that stands for his name. Here is room for discernment. Let the reader, if he has the skill, cast up the sum of the figures in the beast's name, after our human fashion, and the number will be 666. If you made it through all 15 minutes of the reading from St. John's Apocalypse and are wondering what much, much of that has to do with anything, I invite you to consider this. Pope John Paul II referenced that section of the Apocalypse, and especially chapter 12 of the Apocalypse, in his May 13, 2000 address in Fatima, which I have done a video on in the recent past. In that address, he said the following, quote, These words from the first reading of the Mass make us think of the great struggle between good and evil, showing how it went, quote, John Paul II thought this was a warning about the world turning its back on God, and the language in that section seems to rather strongly suggest that in so doing we listen to ourselves, or rather to those offering us a quick solution to a problem. The Mass was shut down in the entirety of Italy for the duration of Lent at the urging of secular authorities, for what purpose? Restaurants are still open for those who want to dine out or drink alcohol. In other words, the secular god of prosperity is still being worshipped, but the eternal sacrifice in Rome has been halted. May God have mercy on us for permitting this to happen. Often the words of the apocalypse regarding the dragon is interpreted to mean the secular authorities in service to Antichrist. When speaking of typology, many scholars and doctors of the church reference types of Antichrist that is, forerunners of Antichrist, who they suggest are mere precursors to his arrival. If you want a hint of what that figure will look like, look to the great tyrants of the past and you'll get an idea. Bear that in mind when thinking about the dragon, who is often interpreted to be political systems, countries, kings, etc. Then there's the Apocalypse or Revelation, chapter 6, which speaks of the four horsemen, one of whom represents what we'll call scourges, due to the sensitivity of the topic. While that comes to the mind for the headlines today, we also see the other passages represented, though I would recommend extreme caution before reading too much into the headlines of the day and applying them to the Apocalypse of John, especially to that passage. I do, however, call your chapter your attention to chapter 6 as well, though Sister Lucia did not do so explicitly. But that isn't all. Last fall, around the time of the canonization of John Henry Cardinal Newman, I released a series of videos in his warnings of the arrival of the Antichrist. In his writings, he said, quote, The last persecution will be more awful than any of the earlier ones, being attended by a cessation of the ordinances of grace, the daily sacrifice, and by an open and blasphemous establishment of infidelity, or some such enormity, in the holiest recesses of the church. End quote. Is this a reference to the enthronement of Pacamama in the Holy See? which occurred a mere six weeks before the events began to unfold half a world away that would lead to the secular authorities calling for the suppression of all religious observances in the country, at least public observances, because technically the happy sacrifice of the Mass is continuing in private in Italy. But again, you don't have access to that there, unless you have some really good connections. Indeed, the prophet Daniel provides these warnings, quote, 
And from the time when the continual sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination unto desolation shall be set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall defile the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the continual sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination unto desolation. And it took away from him the continual sacrifice, and cast down the place of his sanctuary. And strength was given him against the continual sacrifice because of his sins. And truth shall be cast down on the ground, and he shall do and shall prosper. End quote. Again, the Hebrews offered a daily sacrifice that ended in A.D. 70 and, and signaled the end of that religion. However, the daily sacrifice continued among the Gentiles in the earliest days of the Catholic Church in those same times, where the prophet Matthias says in sacred scripture, quote, For from the rising of the sun even to the going down, my name is great among the Gentiles, and in every place there is sacrifice, and there is offered to my name a clean oblation, end quote. That is a clear reference to the Catholic Church. And now the public sacrifice is ended, at least in one place, at the behest of the secular authorities. To be sure, the public sacrifice continues, at least for the time being, in other countries. If you're listening to this, you attended Mass most likely this past Sunday, and possibly during the week since. This event may well be a precursor to what is coming soon. In 1880, Marie-Julie Jehenny's vision warned of the ceasing of the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the turning of holy places including parish churches and cathedrals, into dance halls and barns, with the public sacrifice having ended. While that is yet to come to pass, although some parishes have been turned into dance halls and gymnasiums and things in America and others, what we are seeing in that country now is almost certainly a foreshadowing of things to come. Cardinal Manning, in his work on the coming of Antichrist, which I hope to present in full in a future installment of this series, says of the suppression of the holy sacrifices of the Mass that, that foreshadowings of this apocalyptic event were the destruction of the temple, the rise of Protestantism and its rejection of the mass, the religion of the Saracens and its seizing control of the parts of the world that it now dominates, all of which the good cardinal says point to the time of Antichrist, where the continual sacrifice will be banned. The suppression of the mass now by the secular authorities with the cooperation of the eternal city may very well be a sign of that coming that can now be added to that list. St. Hippolytus provided a similar warning as well, quote, the churches shall lament with a great lamentation, for there shall be offered no more oblation, nor incense, nor worship acceptable to God. The sacred buildings of the churches shall be as hovels, and the precious body and blood of Christ shall not be manifest in those days. The liturgy shall be extinct, the chanting of psalms shall cease, the reading of holy scripture shall be heard no more, but there shall be upon men darkness, and morning upon morning, and woe upon woe. End quote. Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich reiterated this warning with the words, The holy sacrifice of the Mass would cease. This echoes a warning from St. Robert Bellarmine that a sign of the coming of the Antichrist would be the suppression of the Mass. Now, these warnings almost certainly do not pertain only to a single country like we saw in the Catholic media this week, but to the whole world. Thus, while the news of the suppression of the Mass by secular authorities is certainly alarming, it is best understood as a warning of things to come possibly as a sign that our rulers will demand that commerce continue, but that the sacrifice be suppressed in the name of Mammon. Remember this day, when the authorities suppress the Mass in one place, for it is certainly not the last time they will do this. Keep praying for the Church. Thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.